0: Our text for today, for this first Sunday in Advent, as we begin this season of Advent under the theme of the Incarnation, our text is from our Gospel reading from John chapter 1, starting with verse 1, where he writes, In the beginning... Was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God, and then verse 14, and the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. This is the holy and inspired Word of God. May He write its eternal truth upon our hearts today. Now, the words that I just read from what's called the prologue to John's Gospel. Those words that I just read are arguably the most important words ever written in the history of the world. The Gospels of Matthew and Luke and their birth accounts and narratives of Christ, their accounts of Christmas, Matthew and Luke contain all of those wonderful details and facts about Christmas. Matthew tells us all about the wise men. Luke, of course, tells us all about the shepherds which were guarding their flocks at night and how the angel of the Lord shone around them and they were sore afraid. And Luke tells us about Mary and Joseph and the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. We're going to get to all that on Christmas Eve again this year. Matthew and Luke tells us all of the facts and the details of Christmas. John doesn't mention any of those things. John isn't focused so much on the details of Christmas. He is pulling back the veil and showing us the deeper meaning of Christmas. John doesn't show us those earthly details. He's showing us the deeper heavenly meaning of what Christmas, of what the first advent, the first coming of Christ is all about. And there's three things that we see here in this text, three foundational truths, the very essence, the heart of Christianity, three truths about Jesus Christ himself that's going to be our focus for this morning. That Jesus is, first of all, the Word. Secondly, that Jesus is the Word who became flesh. And that thirdly, that Jesus is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. These three truths, what do they mean? What do they mean for us, for you here today? First of all, let's begin. Jesus Christ is the Word. That is the Word of God. And we turn again to John's Gospel, John chapter 1, verse 1, where he says, in the beginning was the Word. That is that before there was even a beginning, the Word was. The Word, that is the second person of the Trinity, that is the pre-incarnate Christ, the Son of God, was in existence from all eternity, the power of existence within His very being, that before there was time and space, before the hands of the clock started ticking, the Word of God was. Existed in the beginning was the word, and the word was it says with God. This is not speaking of location, it's actually speaking about relationship. The Greek here literally says that the word was toward God the image of facing someone, turning toward someone. This is speaking not of location, but of. relationship this is the second person God the son and his intimate loving relationship with God the father the word was with God in relationship together and then it says the word was God in this again shows us a glimmer a glimpse of what we call the trinity god the father who was 100% god god the son who was 100% god the word of god god the holy spirit 100% god and yet there's not three gods but only one god it's one of those moments where i need duct tape wrapped around my brain just to hold this concept in lest my head explode What does John mean? Why do we use this language of the Word in the first place? The Word who was there before the beginning and who was with God and was God. The Word. What is John talking about? Well, as I've talked to you before, the Greek word that we translate into English as Word is the word, is the term logos. Logos, where we get words like logic or logo, And logos, word for the Greek philosophical system, was a huge concept. The logos was that Force or that principle which held all things together—it was the ultimate reality. It was that uncaused first cause, that thing that was behind all things, the source of all life and everything that exists in the physical universe. Was the Logos, this force or principle which holds and holds all things together. And here John is blowing the minds of his Greek readers because he's saying that Logos, that principle which holds all things things together isn't merely a principle it's a person ultimate reality is a person and here's the key point a person that you can know be in relationship with the logos the word and when we think of ourselves and how we reveal ourselves to one another The ultimate, primary, chief, highest way in which we disclose ourselves is through our words. It's through our communication. If you were to go to a coffee shop and you were to observe the people in the coffee shop, you can learn a lot about people from observing Them, what they look like, their behavior. You can infer a lot if you can certainly know what they like to drink at a coffee shop. For me, I happen to be one of those guys. I don't like coffee. I've never drank a cup of coffee in my life. I might drink tea or sometimes in a very manly way, I uh, like to have a cup of hot cocoa with some marshmallows on top. It's really cool when I meet with one of my members of the church and I'm drinking hot cocoa with marshmallows and they're drinking their coffee black. But you can infer a lot, observe a coffee shop, and you can see you know, their gender. You can see an age of someone. You can maybe tell socioeconomic level from what they're wearing. Maybe if they're reading a book, you can tell a little something about their worldview or their politics. You can learn a lot from observing, inferring from people. But if you were just there observing people in a coffee shop, would you say that you really have met them or that you know them? Of course not. In order to meet them, to know them, it's through language, it's through communication, it's through your words. You can know a lot about them, but in order to know them, it's the Word. This is what John means when he says that Jesus is the Word of God. In other words, it is in Jesus Christ that we have the highest the greatest and the clearest revelation of who God is. And let me be clear this morning, it is in Jesus Christ, and it is only in and through Jesus Christ that you could ever truly know God. Oh, yes, you can know a lot about God apart from Christ. From his creation, you can know of his majesty and his power. And from his scriptures, from the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, you can learn something about God and of his power and his creative force and of his covenants and of his steadfast love. But the only way to truly and really know God, it is in and through Jesus Christ, the Word of God. It's Christ as we sing in Christ alone. When I was in college, I took a class in the history of Judaism and it was taught by a local rabbi there in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Rabbi Klein. And Rabbi Klein announced the class that if anyone needed extra credit, they could attend a Sabbath worship service at his synagogue, and if they needed extra, extra credit, they could attend one of his Bible studies afterwards. Unfortunately, I was a student who needed extra, extra, extra credit, so I attended the Sabbath worship service. It was a very um, great experience in that service. And then I went down and I attended the Bible study. I was the only one from the class there in the Bible study, their conversation they were having. And there was an older lady there who was in her late 80s or 90s, somewhere around there. And she said this She said, When I was growing up, I was always, quote, jealous of my friends who were Christians. She said she grew up jealous of her friends who were Christians, and she said the reason why is that when she was growing up, her conception of God was of this old man with a long white beard who sat atop a high mountain throwing down lightning bolts. And that's how she conceived of God. Now, in that image of God, do we learn something about God? Yes, an old man with a white beard conveys his eternal nature. It conveys his great wisdom. On top of a mountaintop conveys his transcendence or his holiness. Throwing down lightning bolts, certainly we learn something of God's power, glory. She said, I had grown up as a little girl, always jealous of my friends who were Christians because that was the conception she had of God, the old man on the mountaintop. And she said, quote, my Christian friends had Jesus. Whoa, am I hearing this? And she was so close. What did she mean by about? Because in Jesus, if you believe Jesus is actually God, you have such a tangible, literally human, literally down-to-earth, revelation and understanding of God a God who can be knowable can be known a God that makes sense a God who's not only powerful and holy and transcendent and amazing but a God who is not only transcendent but a God who is imminent a God who is close a God who is sacrificial a God who is full of love who would give his life she said oh I was always jealous they had Jesus oh you can have Jesus too Jesus as the Word of God is the ultimate revelation of who God is and the only way to really know Him. And can I say as a quick aside, the last people on the face of the earth who would ever create the idea of a God becoming a human, a God of becoming a baby in a manger, the last people to make that up would be the Jewish people of the first century after all that they had been through the last people to create that and make that up was Jews of the first century and yet not only did they create that but thousands upon thousands and were convinced it was true just as an aside so Jesus is the word who became flesh What does that mean, and what does that mean for you that the Word of God became flesh? Well, it means that God chose willingly to put Himself in a form that's pretty soft and kind of squishy, that God put Himself in a form that was very vulnerable. Fragile. Killable. Some of you maybe have heard of the bystander effect. The bystander effect is when a group of people observe some sort of crime taking place and they're all bystanders and none of them do anything to help probably because they're afraid that, you know, what it might do to them, the risk to their own life this became popularized in the 1960s. 1964 in New York City there was a young woman who was a waitress, 28 years old, who was coming home from her work and back to her apartment in New York City. It was dark and there was a bad guy there with a knife and the bad guy wanted her money, wanted her purse, wanted to rob her. And so she started yelling out for help and crying out for help, and her apartment building, all these lights turned on in her apartment building, so much so that the bad guy ran away. It was reported later that 38, 38 of her neighbors either saw her distress or heard her cries for help, and none of them came down. None of them did anything. They were all bystanders. None of them came down to help her. To the degree that the bad guy came back and he finished the job. The bystander effect. Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh made vulnerable, made killable. It means that God in Jesus Christ he heard our cries for help. He looked down and saw our distress and he wasn't a bystander. He chose to come down not simply at the mere risk of what might happen to him, but full well knowing it would co- what it would cost him, his bitter suffering and his death. That is the word made flesh, made vulnerable. Some of you are clinging so tightly to your control. You're clinging so tightly to false gods and idols. Can you begin to let go and make yourself vulnerable? for a God who loves you so much that he gave it all away for you. Jesus Christ is the word who became flesh and then finally who dwelt among us. And if you know anything about the history of the Bible, you know that God, ever since we pushed him away, I mean, that was our goal was to dwell with God and to be with God in the garden, and we pushed him away. And God is working in history to try to be as close as he can. I mean, he is glorious and holy, holy, holy. He can only get so close to sinful, broken human beings. Maybe you remember the story of the Exodus, and Moses leads his people out of slavery in Egypt and into the Sinai wilderness, and God on the top of Mount Sinai gives them instructions to build this really crude, primitive, tent called the tabernacle. The tabernacle in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, was the link between heaven and earth and where God would manifest himself among his people. He wanted to dwell with his people. And all of the tribes of Israel would camp around that tabernacle. The tabernacle was in the very center of God's people, but the people could only get so close. And only one person, one day of the year, the high priest on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, could enter into the most holy place to make atonement for for the sins of the people. The people had to stay back. God got as close as he possibly could. Here John says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, Harkening back to that whole history of the tabernacle. The Greek here says literally that the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. He's here. He was here physically as one of us. God, but truly in Christ, the Word of God, God is 100% a real flesh and blood human being. And you know what that means as we get somewhat closer to the end here? It means that God understands. He understands you and everything you have been through are going through or will go through. We're gonna be singing this a lot uh, over the Christmas holidays, you'll hear it, the songs, Wonderful Counselor, right? All these wonderful songs, and this is Isaiah chapter nine. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh who dwelt among us is the Wonderful Counselor. What makes him the Wonderful Counselor? If you've ever been to a counselor or talked to a friend, When you're going through a tough time, the best counselors there are are the ones who have been through exactly what you have gone through and they get it and they understand. Jesus is the most wonderful counselor because he's been there and done that. He's been through it all and he understands. We see this in the book of Hebrews, chapter two and four. The author of Hebrews tells us this. Look, I'll put it on the screen for us. Hebrews chapter 2 says Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation uh, that's the atonement of the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted Jesus suffered when he was tempted and that means he is able to help you and then chapter 4 he says we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in Every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help, to help in the time of need. I highlight just a few of these for us here today. Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect. He himself suffered when tempted. And Jesus, the word made flesh who dwells amongst us, sympathizes with you, understands you and everything. Even your temptation, even your failures. He goes, I get it. Back in the spring, you know, a lot of you know I was having some different medical problems one after another, and it starts to get to a guy. I was having lower back problems that was... They were wanting to send me to surgery, and I was having the the, the vertigo and dizziness and foggy brain and, and tinnitus, loud ringing in my ears. And that ringing was going on for several weeks, and it was keeping me up night after night. I didn't know how to mitigate the sound at the time, and I, I wasn't sleeping day after day and night after night of not sleeping. You don't sleep; it starts to make a person get a little crazy. night after night and the anxiety and I was starting to have shortness of breath and I didn't know this was what an anxiety attack is like, okay? <laughs> Never had one before. And it was a Saturday night and it would be been night after night of no sleep and the anxiety and shortness of breath and it's a Saturday night. I'm supposed to be at church the next morning and leave for vacation the next day and how am I going to do all of this? And I ended up not going to church that day. Thank you, Pastor Nate and Pastor Micah. But I ended up at the urgent care and I was at the urgent care and the doctor came in and Leah was there and I told him what was going on and the shortness of breath and not able to sleep and the ringing and the dizziness and he said, I had the exact same thing about a year ago. He said, it's terrible, it's terrible. And just the fact that he understood. He got it. Whether or not he could help me or not, he, he understood what I was going through. Anxiety subsides, beep, beep, you no know, more normal pulse. And if that's true of an urgent care doctor with Kaiser, how much more true is that of the great physician of Jesus Christ, the wonderful counselor? He knows. The Word made flesh who dwelt among us Knows what it means to be poor, knows what it means to go hungry, knows what it means to be homeless, knows what it means to not sleep, knows what it means to be lonely, knows what it means to be betrayed, knows what it means to face death. You ever felt lonely? God understands. You ever be betrayed? God understands. Are you facing death? God understands. And you turn to Him and you cry out to the wonderful counselor. And as we truly wrap up here, let me say, some of you might say, Pastor, I've done that. I've turned to Him. I pray. It feels like God isn't there. It feels like maybe he's abandoned me. I say my prayers and it feels like no one is listening at all. You know what's amazing? John chapter 1 verse 1 when john says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and he was god god the father god the son that relationship the word made flesh who dwelt among us it means that god even understands what it's like to feel like god doesn't understand God even understands what it feels like to pray and to cry out to him and feel like God isn't listening. God understands that. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane who falls down on his face. He falls down on his knees and over and over, Father, please take this cup from me. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup from me. God understands. Totally. Oh, Matthew, Luke, those wonderful details of Christmas. Here in John, this Advent, we're focusing not just on the details of Christmas, but the deeper meaning of Christmas. The Word, Jesus Christ, made flesh, who dwelt among us. He is that light which shines in the darkness and the darkness has not and cannot overcome. To him be all the glory. Amen.